Welcome to Sabbath School, brought to you by It Is Written. This week, we're looking at lesson number nine. The subject is covetousness. This quarter, we are looking at managing for the master till he comes. A fascinating subject where we are delving into faith and finances and how they intersect one with another. With us again this week is the author of this quarter's Sabbath School lesson, Ed Reed. He is a licensed attorney and an ordained minister. We're delighted to have him back. And in a moment, we are going to take a look at this subject of covetousness. But first, let's have prayer. Father, we ask that you will bless us this week once again as we continue looking at the subject of finances and our faith. And as we look at covetousness, help us to understand the significance of this illness and how we can avoid it and head in the right direction. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ed, welcome back once again. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you. So this week, looking at covetousness, the memory text is Luke 12, verse 15. It says, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So an entire lesson on covetousness, one might say, well, isn't it just enough to say, don't covet? But apparently there's a little bit more to it than that. There is actually, Eric, and this is a First time I've actually written on this topic, but it was really eye-opening for me, and I hope that it will be for the viewers and those who study the lesson this week. Covetousness has been defined as the inordinate desire for the position or the possessions of another. So I'd like to have your job, or I'd like to have your stuff. That's what covetousness is about. And it is so interesting that it is actually one of the Ten Commandments. Uh, believe it or not, the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife or anything that belongs to your neighbor, and so on. Covetousness is defined as one of those heinous sins that will keep a person out of heaven. So I just want to read 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, and you'll be able to see this topic listed with a whole bunch of other real heinous sins. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, or effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves or covetous, drunkards or revilers or extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. So if it's this bad, we ought to talk about it, seems to me. Now, you mentioned it being this bad. You know, when you, when you list the grand scheme of terrible things that people can do to themselves or to one another, you know, we think of, of murder and we think of, you know, a hundred other things. Covetous, it, it sounds, well, it doesn't sound good, but it doesn't sound all that bad if, if you just look at it on the surface. But as you mentioned in Sunday's lesson, uh, the, the title is actually a question. The question is the ultimate original sin, question mark. What is it about covetousness and its origins? I don't know if that's the, its history, maybe that's a better word, that got us to where we are today. Well, that's a good question. And the reason I put a question there, because we call it the mystery of iniquity. Why did Lucifer do this? But one factor, at least, was covetousness. Because the Bible says in the uh, book of Isaiah, chapter 14, that in verse 14, Lucifer is saying, King of Tyre, in this illustration, is saying, I will be like the Most High. And the interesting thing to me is the, the interesting part is that the Bible talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. You read that earlier. Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, covetousness, which is idolatry. He calls it idolatry. The interesting thing also is, I, just, I, I know I put this in the book. It's not in the lesson, but I'll just tell it to you. 
that I believe Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden for some time before the sin problem came along because they had they watched the seasons come and go and the, the, the Eden was a school, etc. And the devil was limited to one tree and he could only tempt them in that tree of knowledge of good and evil and they'd had warning about it and so on. He's thinking now, how am I going to get to them? And the basic thing I think has is, is happened is he said, I'll do what took me down. So when Eve came by the tree, he used the serpent as a medium, of course, but he said that if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God to know good and evil. So do you see the desire to have more knowledge than you have or more than God has given you or lack of trust and so on? So that's probably part of the problem as well. So we've got a a picture here of covetousness originating with with Lucifer who wanted God's position. Then we see it make its way down here to planet Earth with the offer that he gives to Eve and she accepts. And of course, Adam comes along as well. We get to, to Monday's lesson and that story or these stories that we've just looked at, the story of Lucifer and his fall and Adam and Eve and their fall, those aren't the only stories in the Bible that deal with covetousness. And on Monday, you delve into a, a story that I think many of us are at least somewhat familiar with. It may not be one of the most frequently quoted stories in the Bible, but it's entitled An Accursed Thing in the Camp. So give us a little background on the setting of this story and why it's significant as we're talking about the subject of covetousness. Well, it's interesting that the devil tries to use the miracles that God performs to his own advantage. And it's very interesting that two major miracles happened when Israel finally crossed the Jordan River. You remember that for 40 years they'd been in the wilderness wandering and God fed them with manna and so on. That was a big miracle in itself. But they encountered the Jordan River at springtime flood stage. And it was so wide, just like some of the rivers that we have in in America and other places are very big in in flood stage. God performed a miracle and dried that river up, a path wide enough, dry ground, for them to go through it. It just piled up on one side and ran away on the other side. And they went across on dry ground. More than a million people crossed on dry ground. Now that's a big miracle. The next one was the conquest of Jericho. This is incredible. To understand, Joshua was leading them then, didn't know what to do for sure, and so he went out to pray and encountered the captain of the Lord's host, that Christ was there to tell him, here's what you're going to do. You're going to march around it once a day for six days, and on the seventh day you march around seven. And by the way, everybody's going to be absolutely quiet. No talking, no joking, no singing, nothing. You're absolutely quiet. Just march around one time a day. And then the seven on the seventh day, when the police, the priests blow seven trumpets, then the walls are going to come crashing down. And the walls came crashing down. This is amazing. All they had to do was walk in like a cakewalk to, to conquer the city. The only thing that didn't fall down was J- Rahab's house that was in the wall. And the two spies that had been there said, if you're in your house and anybody you want to save in your house with you, when you come, you'll be saved. They were spared. But this is interesting now. The Israel, you have to feel sorry for bad guys sometimes. Achan was one of the people that went there. He saw a goodly Babylonian garment, a new suit, 200 shekels of silver and 50 shekels of gold, a golden web, a wedge of gold. And he took those things. Now this wasn't unusual because God, through Joshua, told them, all the spoils, destroy everything inside. But all the spoils, the gold and the silver and precious things like that, bring back to the temple to start the temple economy. 
So everybody's hauling stuff back. But Achan stopped by his tent and hid it in his tent. Now, the accursed thing is interesting. That happened so interesting that they decided that they wouldn't send the whole group up to, to Ai. They would just send 3,000 men. When they sent them up there, the men of Ai fought for them their own lives, and they actually killed 36 Israelites. So when they came back after being defeated like that, running away, Joshua said, what's going on? And he laid down on the ground and prayed all day. And God said, there's a cursed thing in your midst. There's no way you can go forward until you take the cursed thing out of your midst. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Achan, as you remember. The amazing thing about this story is that Achan said, I coveted this when I saw these things and I hid them in my tent. So bad is covetousness. What was God's counsel to Joshua to do with Achan? Believe it or not, he said, stone him to death along with his whole family, pile all their stuff upon them, all their belongings, and burn them up. Then they made a big heap of stones there. The bottom line is, trust God to take care of your family. Don't covet the possessions of someone else. So this story of of Achan is one that is absolutely a cautionary tale, an instructive tale. But there are other stories in the Bible. We've got just a few minutes before we take a break. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Tuesday's lesson the heart of Judas. What was it about Judas that was covetous? What was he after? What, was he, what were his ambitions? And what caused him to, if you think of the, the, great, the great evils in the Bible, Judas is probably right up there. Uh, what was it that motivated him to make the decisions that he made? Well, this is a very good question because the story is an amazing story. In the Bible, we read about the feast at Simon's house. And this was the last week of Jesus' life, and he was in Jerusalem for the last time. And he's out at Bethany, and Simon invited him to come. He also invited Lazarus, who Jesus had recently raised from the dead, which was the greatest miracle Jesus did in his whole three and a half years of ministry. But interestingly enough, the Bible says that many people came to this feast to see Lazarus more than Jesus, because here's a guy that's been dead for four days, and now he's eating supper. I mean, this is incredible. What happened at that feast is interesting because Mary, who Jesus had, had healed and, and cleansed, had an alabaster box of spikenard, which is very costly and very expensive, worth about 300 denarii, which is like a year's wages. And at this Simon's feast, she broke the box, that sealed up, and anointed Jesus' head with it and washed his feet with it as well. And the perfume went all through the building. And it's interesting that Judas said this could have been sold and given to the poor. Now, interestingly enough, he wanted the money. Here's why. I've written in the lesson there, he said this, this is verse 6 of John, the 12th chapter. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and he bare what was put therein. Since Matthew was a publican and a tax collector, he knew he was probably an accountant or an attorney. He probably should have been the manager. But somehow Judas got himself as the treasurer, carried the bag. And the Bible says right here he was a thief and took stuff out of it. So he wanted it. This is an act of covetousness. So I'll just tell you this interesting thing. Mary had this 300 denarii, a year's wages, in this, invested in this spikenard. Judas went out from that feast and bargained with the... Jewish leaders, and sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which was much smaller than what that was worth. So this is an interesting story in the fact that his covetous led led him to that uh, point in his life. 
So an amazing story of, of where Judas went, the, the slippery slope that led him to betraying Jesus and, and really to be listed among the, the great wicked individuals in the Bible, uh, all because of, or largely because of, covetousness. Yes. So we're going to continue looking at some stories in the Bible about covetousness, but if you have been enjoying this quarter's lessons and you want to get more out of it, I want to encourage you to pick up the companion book to this quarter's Sabbath School lesson. It is called Managing for the Master. Of course, it's by Ed Reed, our guest this quarter, as we are looking at these subjects. You can pick this up at itiswritten.shop. Again, that's itiswritten.shop. This particular book contains more insight, more wisdom, more stories than what you will find in the quarterly itself, in the study guide itself. You will be blessed if you pick that up. We're going to be back in just a moment or two as we continue looking at this fascinating subject, the subject of covetousness. We'll be right back. You know that at It Is Written, we are serious about studying the Word of God, and we encourage you to be serious as well. Well, here's what you do if you want to dig deeper into God's Word. Go to itiswritten.study for the It Is Written Bible Study Guides online. 25 in-depth Bible studies that will take you through the major teachings of the Bible. You'll be blessed, and it's something you'll want to tell others about as well. itiswritten.study. Go further. itiswritten.study. There's something I want to tell you about that is so important. It's My Place with Jesus. It is written's ministry to children. Take the children you care about to MyPlaceWithJesus.com. At MyPlaceWithJesus, you'll find so much that will bless your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren or the children at church. There are the My Place with Jesus Bible Guides. 21 studies that will take the children you care about into the Word of God. They'll learn the important things, especially the love of God and the sacrifice Jesus made for them. As well, take your children to Journey Through the Bible. It's there at MyPlaceWithJesus.com. It's a special Bible reading program that will get children into the habit of reading their Bible daily and connecting with God regularly. So don't forget, MyPlaceWithJesus.com from It Is Written. Welcome back to Sabbath School brought to you by It Is Written. We are looking this week at the subject of covetousness. This is lesson number 9 of 12. We're getting close to the end and dealing with some very significant subjects. Covetousness. Uh, Ed, why is covetousness so so bad. It doesn't sound real bad, but why is it listed up there amongst some of these other terrible, terrible things? Well, that's a good question because the answer is is quite simple, but it's amazing as well. Covetousness is a matter of character. It's a matter of the heart. And so you can't look at me and I can't look at you and tell whether we're covetousness. That's something between you and God and your relationship with God and what you read earlier and what we'll read again in this one. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So if you want something, you want a desire to be rich, that can be a real problem for you. So one of these stories, all of these stories, deal with people who had a problem. And I I think what we're going to find out is that if we follow the counsel of Scripture, we'll be able to overcome that when we look at Thursday's section. So before we get to Thursday, which is, is coming up here very quickly, let's look at one more story 
that you make mention of here on Wednesday's lesson. Wednesday's lesson is about Ananias and Sapphira. Who were Ananias and Sapphira? What was what was going on in this story? Why were they dealt with so harshly? Because it it may seem to some people like, wow, that was that's a pretty severe and uh, and fast punishment for for these two for something that doesn't sound so bad. But my guess is there's something under the surface that uh, that helps us to understand why what they did or didn't do uh, is so significant. Talk with us about Ananias and Sapphira. Well, the story is in Acts, the fourth chapter. And this is an interesting chapter because in Acts, the second chapter, you have Pentecost and the, the apostles speaking in, in uh, different languages and so on because Pentecost was one of those times of the year when people came bringing their offerings to Jerusalem. Pentecost, the Passover, and Feast of Tabernacles. So the fourth chapter of Acts, the disciples, two of the disciples had been put in prison. And they had a miraculous uh, deliverance from prison, as you may remember. But the interesting part is, the leaders had told them, don't ever talk about Jesus again. And they said, well, you'll be the judge. Should we obey God or man? But they had a season of prayer. And they asked God to give them boldness to speak. And the interesting part about that was, God did give them boldness. And during their prayer session, a large group of people were there. And apparently Ananias and Sapphira were part of that group. And they, they all received the Holy Spirit again and boldness to speak. And they said, things are going great. If we just had the funds, we could do this, this, and this. So people were selling stuff and pledging money and so on. So Ananias and Sapphira said to themselves, probably bumped each other with their elbow and said, you know, well, we could sell that piece of land we have. So they, they said to the brethren, we've got a piece of land we'll sell, and when we get the money, we'll turn it in. So when they went back home, they, they found this out, that they, they needed to uh, sell this property. But when they got it, maybe there's a time of inflation like now, and they got a lot more for it than they thought. And they said, well, the brethren will never know. We'll keep part of it for ourselves. And so they kept that part for themselves. In essence, who were they, who were they stealing from? Well, they had received the Holy Spirit. You see, that's the point. And they were stealing from God. And when Ananias came back, this to me is an interesting topic. When Ananias came back, the, uh, he laid the money at the disciples' feet. I should also say that they decided together that they wouldn't turn the whole amount in. So from a legal perspective, I can tell you that they were co-conspirators to this. So they're both guilty. He came back with his check and they said, thank you so much. This is going to be a real blessing to the church. By the way, is this all you got for the property? And he said, yes. And he dropped dead right in church. Now, this is incredible because he had lied to the Holy Spirit. This is the sin that will not be forgiven. You see, this is amazing. The blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the interesting thing is they, young men, they didn't even wait for the funeral. They would bury him that day. Some men came in and dug a grave and buried him in it. And the story is interesting to me because the Bible says several hours passed and Sapphira thought, well, I should have taken the money myself. He goes down there and gets talking to the brethren. We was going to go, where are we going out to Olive Garden? There's some place to eat. This is, this is a big story in her mind. So she said, I'll go down and see myself. She goes down there and said, has anybody seen my husband? And they said, yeah, he's been here, but he brought us this check. Oh, and by the way, is this how much you got for the property? What did she say? Of course, that's what we got. And she said, well, the men that have buried your husband are coming to bury you. And she dropped dead right in church. The real interesting part about that, they'd had the privilege of being where the Holy Spirit was poured out. They made a covenant with God, and then they didn't fill it. 
The big question is people say, should say, well, maybe we should make promises to God. If the Holy Spirit impresses you to do something, you should do it. We're doing that right now in our lives, doing what God's asked us to do, what, what we can do. So the whole point of this is God sees our, our hearts and he'd like us to be faithful. But if we're covetous for more money and keeping stuff back for ourselves, that's selfishness as well. Bad things can turn out. The story didn't turn out too well, as you can understand. So they, they started out with the best of intentions, wanting to do a good thing, and then somewhere along the line, covetous worked itself in there, and they were looking for a way that they could benefit themselves afterward. And, and like you said, it didn't turn out very well for them. So all of these that we've looked at are cautionary tales. God gives us these in the Bible so that we can learn from them, so that we don't follow in the footsteps, follow in the path of individuals who have, who have gone this way before us and, and had... Uh, unpleasant endings, I guess is a good way of saying that. So what about us? Thursday's lesson talks about overcoming covetousness. If it is such a, a terrible thing, if, it's, if it has taken so many people in its wake, uh, and we have these lessons that we've learned from the Bible, or these stories that we've read in the Bible, we should realize it's a significant problem for us, too, to recognize so what is it that we can do to overcome this thing, covetousness, that has taken down so many other people? What hope can we have that it's not going to take us down to? Well, Eric, this should be a matter of our personal prayer life, I think, is a matter. I'll just tell you that to begin with. But I would just tell you that since it's a matter of the heart, that's between us and God to take care of it. And there are many references. I'll share some with you here. First Corinthians ten thirteen says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation make also a way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So if we're tempted to be covetous, ask God to take it away from us. There are many things that people do in their lives that the devil's got them trapped. People get involved with bad habits and so on and say, man, I like to do this. There's no way I'm going to give this up. But the bottom line is, it's true you can't. But if you surrender to the Lord and ask him to take care of it for you, he will do it. And that's, that's the point of there. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do how much? All things through Christ who strengthens me. God gives us the power. That's Philippians 4.13. God's power can be, protect us against these very dangerous, deceptive sins like covetousness. I've, I've, I put down three things here that I suggested that I, that I thought would be valuable to people. And I'd like to, to share them with you. One of them is make a decision to serve and depend on God and to be part of his family. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve God or mammon? You just have to decide and talk about the rewards and the, of faithfulness at the last week. You can read it in the book as soon as you want to. But the bottom line is it's incredible when you think about it. So make a decision. I'm going to follow God no matter what. The second one, be daily in your prayer and include Matthew 6.13. Lead us not into temptation. In other words, lead us away from temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This is the prayer Jesus taught us to say. Help us to get away from these temptations. The third one is be regular in Bible study. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I tell people, if you regularly read the Bible... Whether you're a scholar and understand biblical languages or not, it doesn't matter. If you read the Bible, God has pledged himself to transform you. And I can just tell you, when you spend time in the Bible, your heart has changed. 
People will just come away from the Bible reading and they'll say, I no longer have a desire for doing these kinds of things because the Holy Spirit that inspired the Bible will inspire you as well and give you the power to be victorious. So those are things that I would recommend to people uh, to think about. Another one is Isaiah 55 and verses 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Now this is incredible because he's not always going to be whispering in your ear. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and our God and he will abundantly pardon. God will pardon you if you seek pardon. But the bottom line is we must do that to be able to, to, under, to uh, get the victory over covetousness. It is a big deal. And it's not one that you can just say, well, sometime in the future I'm going to give up covetousness. That's not going to happen that way. This is part of our daily transformation, part of our covenant relation with God. Let me tell you one other interesting thing. When we trust God with our finances, we really trust Him. And we get to know Him. God will take care of us. He has fulfilled His promises to us. You'll never hear the words that are spoken to the unfaithful people at the end, depart from me, I, didn't, I never knew you. That's not going to happen to people who trust God with their finances because they've learned to know Him, they've trusted Him, and take care of Him. Ed, I want to conclude things for this week's study by reading a passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6. It's found in verses 6 through 10. Uh, It says in 1 Timothy 6 verse 6, Now godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It kind of brings things uh, nicely to it. Any final comments on, uh, on covetousness as we tie up this week's lesson? One interesting thing about covetousness, we've talked earlier about tithes and offerings. If I'm faithful with God and put him first in my tithes and offerings, then I'm not wanting to keep more for myself. Generous contributions helps to overcome covetousness as well. And I think that's very valuable to people because we're not trying to look and see how big of a bank account we want. We want to see how much we can help God's cause advance. And that, that's very helpful to me to understand that. I can also tell you that God is faithful. We should be faithful as well. And if we're faithful, he'll take care of us. He told us, you know, call him in the day of trouble. If you're faithful, I'll deliver you and I'll take care of you. That's that's Psalm chapter 50. Ed, I want to thank you once again for being with us this week. We're still looking forward to several more weeks of you sharing the wisdom that God has shared with you over several decades of working in the area of stewardship and in ministry and law and some valuable, valuable insights that we've learned this week about the subject of covetousness. So we have several more weeks to go. In the very near future, we are going to be tying this particular quarter together, but we're not there yet. And you can expect that the coming lessons are going to be just as valuable, just as practical as the lessons that we have had in the past. So invite others to watch this with you. If you know somebody who's going through some financial challenges, this is a fantastic program to share with them. We're going to be back next week with more on the subject of stewardship, God's finances, your finances, and your future. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you back next time.